Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Our teaching will come from, of course, John, um, and we'll be reading the fourth chapter and we'll focus on verses one through, I will read one through 26 um, in your hearing. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sinkar, now the, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman had said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, have you, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, or did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so I won't, be, won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has, has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit 
and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. May God bless the reading and the hearers of this word. God bless you. A lot of you, how many of you have heard the story of the woman at the well before? You've heard that, okay? A lot of you have heard that. Now, I am not a coffee snob. Any of you in here, would you admit that you're a coffee snob? All right, there's a couple of you. I can drink 7-Eleven coffee. I can drink diner coffee. Some of you are like, okay, all right, now you're testing me here a little bit. I can go to Wawa. I can go to, I don't like going into Royal Farms to get their coffee because you come out smelling like fried chicken. I love to eat their fried chicken, but I don't want to carry their aroma with me in the morning, um, right? Um, I am a Dunkin' over Starbucks coffee drinker. Like I like, now I'm talking about their dark, like their regular coffee. Now when it comes to the fancy drinks, Starbucks way outdoes Dunkin' on the fancy drinks, in my opinion. Listen, this has everything to do with the story. Hang in here. All right. But when I buy a bag of beans to take home, I love ceremony coffee. Um, and ceremony coffee generally has a shelf of 40% off coffee because it's 21 days old on the shelf and they can't sell it for full price. But I have not had it affect the taste in my French press yet, all right? <laughs> but my favorite cup of coffee in the entire city of Baltimore is Atwater's. But here's the thing, and it hit me this week thinking about this story. Do you know why Atwater's coffee, to me, has been my favorite cup of coffee in the entire city? I only go there when I have invited somebody to join me there. It's one of the only places in the city where I have never gone by myself. Every time that I've gone to Atwater's, it has been because the joy of the cup of coffee, to me, has been the company that I've kept in the conversations that I've had while I was there. Let me pray. Father, I ask that right now that we can be fully present in this story and that your spirit would talk to our spirit and in the end, not my words, but your words, your will, your way in us done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, to get us starting talking around the table really quick, or you know, if you're in groups of two, if you're sitting by yourself, this can be a hard activity to do. It might be interesting to videotape you doing this by yourself. But let me ask each of you at the table, here's a question. Where do you love to meet people and why? Talk to each other around the table. Where do you like to meet people and why? Go. <laughs> Where do you like to meet people and why? All right, that was a long 60 seconds. So that's all the time I'm going to allot for this activity. So somebody tell me in the room, what, uh, what, where, where do you like to meet people and why? What was the most unique? Yes. So we have a biker bar right down the road from our house. Yes, I've been there. That's great. Uh, a restaurant that is, a biker bar that is safe and it has a great outdoor space. Um, 
that has a lot of fantastic memories with great ownership, great people. Did you catch the theme? It, it's obviously a biker bar. That was fun just to even just say from the stage on a Sunday morning, especially in Baltimore City, you know? And we're not even talking about the 12 o'clock boys. Like, we're talking about, like, old school bikers, leathers, you know, tassels, the whole deal. Um, but, uh, but it's the people, the ownership, the, 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 the family feel you get there. Somebody else, where else do you like to meet people and why? Yes. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, the, for those of you that are listening online, um, it, it's funny, you like to meet people online because it's easy just to cut them off, right? Is that kind of the, the phrase? Yeah, yeah, when it's like, oh, you know what, I'm done with this conversation. All right, yeah, that's great. Um, one of the things Ginger and I did learn when we moved here was because when, when our family moved here back in January 1st of 08, we didn't know anybody in the city. And so when we started inviting neighbors, we were like, okay, what happens when you drop an invitation in somebody's mailbox and they actually take you up on it, but then you realize, I don't feel safe. <laughs> or this person's a little, or we, or we make them feel awkward. So we realized that the first invitation should never be a four-course meal. The first invitation is, hey, do you want to sit on the porch and have a coffee in the morning? Do you want to come over for a very quick melting dessert? You know, let's have a 15 to 30 minute meeting versus let's rather than block an evening for our first encounter where I could scare you or you could literally kill me, then let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's put some parameters on this. I heard a few people do the standard Starbucks. Anybody throw the Starbucks out there? Yes, they have a great cultural environment. I have a lot of my meetings um, at the Ceremony Coffee on Light Street. It's a great place to go. All right, so here we're about this rescuing love of Jesus Christ that's revealed the love of God from the beginning. And I'm not talking about the beginning of Mary birthing Jesus, but the creation of the world was founded in the rescuing love of God as revealed in the Word of God, which John is saying was Jesus Christ himself. And we're now getting this other side of God. So he's a rescuing and loving God, but he is a welcoming God, which a lot of people argue about world religions right now. And there's a lot of people that are taking pieces of world religions and trying to come up with their own world religion. But one of the things that distinguishes the Jesus we're worshiping today from all the other world faiths, is that none of the other gods that are worshiping you, or people are worshiping, are pursuing you. You have to figure out a way of pursuing them, or pleasing them, or getting noticed by them. But Jesus showing up is saying, God already notices you, and by the way, he's running after you, and no matter where you are, he finds you. That separates Christianity just in one lump sum conversation from all the other world religions. And so John is communicating this rescuing love, this welcoming love of God and how it's being displayed in Jesus. And John is really wanting us to understand who Jesus is. And I think all of us in this space right now need a total reset on who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Because if you've lived and breathed in the church in the United States long enough, we probably in some ways have started stepping a little bit off center 
for who Jesus Christ really is and what he's asking us to do and to be in his world. And one of the creative ways that John does this through his letter is by introducing us to people that had close encounters with Jesus himself. Last week, we had a chance to see how Jesus intersected at night with Nicodemus, who was a religious insider and very likely one of the, if not the smartest man in the temple council, trying to figure out who Jesus is. That was John 3 and us getting a chance to be introduced to him. And today, Jesus, through John's writings, is having us sit down with an outsider, not just an outsider of Jewish, Jewish religion, but she's also doubly an outsider because she's an outsider amongst her own community. So she's not just rejected by Jewish worship. She's now rejected by her own community of people. And Jesus seems to find his way into the company of no matter what kind of person you are on the planet, he's looking for you. So here's another question I want you guys to talk about to set a tone for our time together. How do we begin to see an invisible God? Ask each other that question at the table and see what comes up. How do you and I begin to see an invisible God? Talk to each other. feels a lot like a speed dating activity. It's like you just have a few minutes and switch. You had to change person to get to know everybody. Um, not that I participated in one of those in the last 30 years, but I hear. Um, so <laughs> how do we begin to see an invisible God? What you guys, what were some of the first things that were said at the table? How do you begin to see an invisible God? There was creation. Yeah, there's even lots of scriptural texts, Psalms, the Old Testament, New Testament talks about this beautiful creation and the way that it announces God. Uh, what other ways? Anybody else come up with anything else? How do you see an invisible God? Through people. Hmm. Through people. Very good. Anyone else? Hmm. Uh, there you go. Wow. Mic drop. For those of you that were online and you couldn't hear that, uh, Andrew didn't even stand up and he knocked everybody out. So he just like, but it's through the visible God, Jesus, like Emmanuel, God with us. So, so we have this progression, the beauty of creation, no matter how bad we've been a steward of it, still has a beautiful song of worship and praise to God and a revelation of its groanings for God. And then we have people that we've had a chance to interact with that have helped us see a visible God. And then we also can ultimately look at Jesus, who's the topic of John's gospel. But here's the part that I want to focus on today, which it's assumed that it's Jesus because the title of the series is Jesus. But I believe that one of the ways that John is teaching or showing us in this gospel is that you and I begin to see images of God by the ways that we interact with people and the way that Jesus is setting an example of the ways that we're interacting with people. John is creating beautiful imagery of God through relationships that Jesus had. We'll see Jesus and his disciples. We'll see Jesus and his family. We see Jesus with religious people. We see Jesus with Gentiles. We see Jesus with demons and demon-possessed. We see all these different ways in which Jesus interacted. And John is creating this beautiful imagery 
And so last week, it was this religious insider that was just trying to wrap his mind around the fact is, I have all this knowledge about who we are as a Jewish nation. Like, we need to focus solely that Nicodemus had a homogenous worldview. Like, the Jews were a blessing. The Jews were a special people. Like, he had such a razor-focused thinking that God blessed the Jews and no one else. And we see that in how Paul persecuted the early church until he had interaction with Jesus, and then he became a builder of the church. Great personal example of that. But this week, we're looking at how Jesus doesn't just care about the people that think they're religious insiders. He cares about the people that think that there's no place for them. The ultimate outsider is who God is concerned about. And Jesus showing up as Emmanuel, fully present, fully aware of who this visible, invisible God is in a visible presence, Jesus is showing this encounter in John chapter 4 in the verses that Andre read to us. And if you notice in the reading, John has a lot of parenthetical thoughts. These are these supplemental information I don't want us to read over them like they're helpful cliff notes throughout the chapter. This was highly intentional because John knew that he didn't have to include those if his audience was only Jewish. The audience, if they were Jewish, they would have understood all of the crazy things Jesus was doing in this passage of Scripture. But to a non-Jew... They would have not understood the great lengths and the messages that Jesus was sending if John only included the facts. And so you see throughout this text that there's all these parentheses there where there's something said and then some kind of clarification or there's a description with a bigger description or a you might not be aware of this. Jesus did this, but you need to understand that this is something that a Jewish man would never do. Everything that John is doing here in all of these parentheses is to make sure that no matter who gets a hold of his letter, they will see very clearly that everything Jesus was doing was odd, it was new, and it was unacceptable. So Jesus is doing something in this passage with this woman that in the first century would have been way out of the bounds of what humans could frame their thinking around. John is putting a lot of detail here, and I love that when he's talking in this passage, when you talk to people about the passage, new things come to light. And this week, I was sitting on the sofa with my daughter and my wife, and I just threw out to them, what is, when you think of John chapter 4 and the story of the woman at the well, what stands out to you? And one of the things my daughter said just really hit me, and I went back to a Bible that I hadn't opened since I did Ginger's dad's funeral several years ago, and I looked at this passage of scripture, and there were two words that I had underlined in the entire passage, and the two words were, Jesus is tired and Jesus was weary, and my daughter pointed that out when I opened my Bible. I'm like, holy smokes, I have an entire John 4 in my Bible, and the only two words underlined are that Jesus was tired and Jesus was weary. And so imagine this keyboard is the well at noon. Where would the sun be? Like up. So if this is an exposed well and Jesus is tired and weary and he's sitting down, where do you think he's going to sit? He's going to sit on the side of the well that's the most shade. 
Like wherever the sun is at noon, it's not perfectly straight up. You know, there's some sort of wall that's there. And there's at least a maybe 8 to 10 or 12 inch shadow in the middle of this dry and weary land that he can sit in the shade. And so Jesus was tired and he was weary. And I just want to say to us today, and this might be the one thing that some of you need to hear when I share this, is that even when you and I get tired and worn out, we can still act like Jesus. Even when you and I are the most physically, mentally, and emotionally worn out to the point where we just have to take a seat from the hot sun and get into some sort of shade, whether physically or emotionally. Like this is a great teaching to do after the week that we've just had. Because our physical bodies and our spirit can relate to this story. Because we have been desperate for the coolness of air. We have changed our schedules to avoid the heat, at least as best we possibly could. But John is putting out these details because he wants the people that are reading him to understand all of the intricacies because he truly believes if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that that is going to be where we are going to experience true life. John, especially at the beginning of this story, is using the details to communicate that Jesus was going somewhere that was unexpected. And it could be said that he was going somewhere where he shouldn't. I don't want to just gloss over this. It's going to be a major point of what we're going to talk about. John is going out of his way to communicate how intentionally Jesus went into a location And he's hoping, John is hoping to tell this story within the picture of Jesus going somewhere where nobody would have ever expected. And on top of that, they're going, he's going somewhere unexpected so that we could find in that meeting with a person that you and I would least expect an encounter with Jesus Christ. So he's not just going somewhere that he wasn't expected to go or arguable that he should have never gone to in the first place, we are meeting somebody in this passage of scripture that should have never encountered Jesus unless he was somewhere where he wasn't supposed to be. John is telling the story now to show how important people are and that, that, that many people feel like they're outside, they're unacceptable, or that they're different. In our humanity, this is what happens. We find people that meet certain criteria, and we draw them in close, we dig a well, and that's who we hang with. We get to the point in our life where we are like, okay, all of you are safe to be living with, and we found a good watering hole, and therefore we are now okay to be together. Jesus never imagined his movement, called the church, as a closed-off group and not accessible to everyone. Why would we have a well of water and deny people access? What John is saying here is that this unholy and unsacred area was a very sacred place. Even this, in the midst of telling the story, he's like, Jacob's well is there. Hello, was he not one of the major players in the story of the, the, the people of Israel? Abraham, Isaac, and... 
was the lineage that birthed the people of God through the nation of Israel. And even though this Samaritan area had been designated as unclean, there was a place in the midst of the unclean area that was still a holy and sacred place. And we find Jesus has found it. And he's taken a knee in some reprieve. And he's waiting there in a space that he shouldn't have been. But he found a sacred moment. John is making it intentional by saying that the disciples had already gone into town because that was important parentheses information. And that Jesus was there one-on-one with a woman. And Jesus is the one who starts the conversation with the woman. One-on-one with a woman in that day and time was not acceptable. One-on-one with a man and a woman in this culture today that's not your spouse, depending on where you are, we need to have some serious lessons learned about the way that we interact with each other. And as soon as Jesus related to this unclean woman, as a man, he would have been considered what himself? Unclean. She understood that what Jesus was doing was so wrong that she starts to give Jesus a lecture. Did you pick up on that? She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, wait a minute. If you didn't notice, I'm a woman coming to the well at noon by myself. And now Jesus is going to start to unpack what her coming to the well all by herself means. Because if you and I want to understand how Jesus moves in the world, even when he's tired and weary... You and I need to pay attention to where he was so that you and I can see where we are because Jesus is always in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person, but he always got it right. A few years ago, we were, when I say a few years now, nine years ago, if any of you were around back then, uh, we used to worship at the Pier um, uh, 5 Hotel down the street. That was a fun experience, especially when you think we love this, windows, but just imagine that 75% of the room was surrounded with a view, looking at the water, and the Baltimore City Fire decides to do a practice, put a boat out during the sermon, and they have all these water cannons shooting at this boat in the harbor practicing, and I totally lost the audience, and I'm like, okay, everybody, go to the window, watch for five minutes, we'll come back, and then I can gather your attention. Like, you think this room can be distracting, it was very distracting. We had to put up black curtains to keep people to focus on the minister at the time. We fired him, we got a new one, but um, the, uh, but one of the things that I learned while we were at the Pier 5 do I? Do I need a parenthesis? All right, just in case some of you are non-Jews in here, uh, uh, we, that's a joke because I was the minister at the time. So, so what, we, what we began to figure out was that at the Pier 5, we had a lot of folks coming to church from all over the city. And one family, he was the bass player in the band, and she was the lead teacher and gallery kid that day. And they came out of their row home up in Patterson Place, just the northwest, northeast corner of Patterson Park. And there was a woman crying, sitting on a stoop. And with their church gear in hand, started to walk by her. And then they realized they had to stop. They showed up to church for the benediction. Now, I just tell you, they were the bass player and the gallery kid lead teacher. 
came in apologetically saying, we're so sorry, we let you guys down, da 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 And I just stopped them, and I just said to them, you made the right decision. Because it felt like church was the right place with the right people at the right time, and it was the right circumstances. That woman seemed like the wrong person at the wrong time, but it was the right decision. And you and I need to get to the place where we see people. Being at the well was like being at the local coffee house. It would have been a social event, a highlight in the day of a woman back in that first century. We, in our Americanized eyes as we look at this text, would have been like, okay, is this child labor? Is this an evil thing? No, going to the well in the morning And going into the well in the evening to draw water for your family was not a chore, it was a joy. The women in the morning that had beat Jesus there when there was lots of shade and it was cool, most likely were enjoying themselves. But this woman was going to the well all by herself. The women would have done it twice a day. This woman is doing it once a day at noon. So why would you go get water outside of the city in the heat of the day? It should have been a time for a group of women to go and carry the jug and talk about, oh, I found a new place to get my nails done, right? Or have you seen these new beauty products made with olive oil and avocados? You know, it's like, have you seen, like, it would have been a time for them to talk about what their children were doing. Hey, I noticed your son's walking now. Like, I noticed that, you know, you're not yelling at your husband as much. We can't hear you through our windows. Like, it would have been a time for the women to sit at the well, draw water, and talk to each other twice a day about the things. It was, there was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. This is, so how's your family doing? Give me a snapshot of your day so far? What was, how did your day end yesterday? It was a time for conversation, and the women that were went earlier in the day went with joy because they were bringing a life-giving source back to their family. They knew it was their commitment to the community. They knew it was what they were, they were, they were making a, 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 a serious contribution to the life-giving force for the, for the people around them. It was part of what wasn't just expected, but it's how they existed. And this woman went at noon, which meant that she was alone. She wasn't accepted. She was an outsider amongst all the other women, viewed as unacceptable and probably unclean. Every other woman on the way in the morning and the evening was reminded that they were accepted. Every other woman reminded that they belonged. Every other woman reminded that they had their people. They weren't alone. They had their people. But it was the exact opposite for this woman. And it is a reminder, so much so, if we're not careful, we miss out on the fact of the level of worthlessness this woman felt. You can read this like this was a strong, confident woman because she didn't mind talking to Jesus. But this woman had been beaten down by life. That walk for her every day would have been a solo walk, only talking to herself. Probably only rehashing all the reasons why she was alone in the first place. All the pain, all the ways in which she wasn't good enough or cared for by the community. And for some of you, today you might feel like it's high noon. 
you feel like this woman at the well. You have no people. You might on the outside feel like, oh, I, I can present myself and come to church, but on the inside, I don't feel like I have people that accept me. I feel like my pains and my shame and my guilt dominate who I am. And this is the dilemma of the church because the church should be a well and it should be a place that everybody comes to be refreshed. It should be a festival. It should be joy. It should be sharing. It should just be an overflow of what we've experienced this week together. It should be a place that brings life. It should be a place where we're caring for one another, where we're concerned about each other. And one of the greatest challenges of the church is that the church is supposed to dig a well so people can gather around it where everyone is welcome. But too often we dig our wells and then we limit who's welcome. We need to be so careful of that. We need to pay attention to where we are. If we don't pay attention to where we are, we will miss what God is doing. And do you want God to use you to, and allow you to participate in what he's doing? Are you content to just have your own well? Or are you wanting to be a place that draws people to life? The first thing that he may want you and I to do, Jesus, the first thing that Jesus may ask you and I to do is just open our eyes and be present where we are. He might just want us in our tiredness and our fatigue to just look up and see what's going on. Look around us to say what is happening in the people that I'm seeing. Like when I go to ceremony coffee, am I seeing the same person always sitting alone with a distraught look on their face? When I'm walking back to my row home, am I seeing the same neighbors? And is anything in me drawing me to them saying this person might need to know that there's a well of life that they can draw from? This might seem metaphorical because it's like we don't literally have a well. And I know that not all of us can live in metaphor land and not get lost in that. And that's okay. But who in your family do you know needs you? Who is always on your commuter bus? Who is sitting in the lobby of where you live? Who's always at the park, at the playground? Who are the people that live near you? Who are the people at your work? Who are the people that you're playing with in your rec leagues and all the ways in which you're engaging in game nights at the local tavern? Where are you learning? The library, the school, the research facility. Where can people be seen by you? You don't need to go somewhere to make a difference in this world. You just need to be somewhere to make a difference in this world. Paying attention. We actually have a paying attention discipleship strategy as a church. We call it intentional living. I'm going to use this as a shameless plug that we're going to have our, our first one of the fall, the training on this event on September the 9th in this space, and it'll be in the morning. We'll get you more details. But if you want to know how to live a woman at the well, meeting Jesus, tired, weary, sitting, and how to interact with people with more training, that's what we're going to do that day. And even if you've taken that class with us before years ago and you want to refresh, there's things that we're adding to this that should help us. So there's my shameless plug. 
But when you see someone and you acknowledge who they are and what they're going through, you will be amazed at how Jesus shows up or will prove to you that he was already there waiting for you to get there. We have to learn to pay attention and to be fully present. In John 4, 7 through 9, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his, here's that little parenthesis. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm the Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Remember, she'd given Jesus a lecture. You shouldn't be talking to me, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And here's my intuition. And I might be wrong, but I think if Jesus really just wanted a glass of water, he could have figured out a way to get it himself. Like he turned water to wine, he's walked on water, he's healed the sick, he's taught prophetically. You know, I mean, I honestly believe that if Jesus was sitting there tired and he was imagining a super big sized glass of ice water, that he could have figured out a way of getting a glass of water this is what I think Jesus was doing. And I might be wrong, but I know other theologians could agree with me. But this is what my spirit was saying that I needed to say to you. I think Jesus was saying something to her because he wanted her to actually have value. And he wanted to offer her some dignity that nobody else would give her. I think Jesus wasn't looking to just say to her, woman, get me a drink, because I man you woman. This is no caveman Jesus moment. Jesus was more than capable, even if he didn't have any tools, to get himself a glass of water. He was looking at a woman that was rejected, and he's saying, I'm going to give you dignity with the first thing I say to you. And most of the people in the world don't need us to do something for them. They just need us to need them. He puts himself in a situation where he needs her to start a conversation humbly with her. And I believe that you and I need to learn to do the same. If you were here last week, sitting over here was a family, the Pritchard family. And Brandon, uh, the head of that family, is uh, the World Relief Nation Director for Cambodia. So he works with all the churches across the nation of Cambodia trying to help them teach, live, and, and be impactful in the culture for the sake and the reputation of Jesus Christ. So he's overseeing the entire nation. We were having a fantastic conversation over lunch, and he was telling me about the powerful church that's in Cambodia. But the mentality is, is that American pastors go there to give the pastors in Cambodia something, but they never ask the pastors in Cambodia to give them anything. And the pastors in Cambodia right now have an incredible discernment meets prayer life that just unleashes this mystery of God. People that just come because they had dreams and visions places where they're feeling the spirit moving, they might not be able to talk about the Bible and put all the pieces and the narrative from Genesis 1 to Revelation all together like an American pastor can. They haven't been to seminary. They don't know all the nuances and idioms and all of the different sentence structures. And they're trying to make sense of what they do have. But one thing that they're strong in is their prayer and the spirit life. 
And he's like, it would be fantastic if a pastor would come to a pastor and say, let me give you what I have, but hey, could you come and give our people what you have? Because people don't need what we have. They need us to need them. So why did Jesus ask her for a drink? There are a lot of people that teach us that when you evangelize, you memorize a lot of scripture. And then you start by dumping scripture on people. And that's what draws them to God. And the more you memorize or the quicker you get into the Bible, the better opportunity you have for some sort of quick evangelistic experience. And I believe Jesus here is saying, let me show you what it's like to have an evangelistic lifestyle. You start with people that you see, and you begin to share with them what you know about them and how important they are and how much you love them and how much you care for them. And then you begin to draw them in. Jesus knew the Torah better than anybody else. He wrote it. He didn't start by saying Moses said. He didn't start by saying one of the prophets said. He didn't say, let's go back to the scriptures that we do agree upon. He went and started by offering this woman dignity. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus began the conversation where she was and he could see the truth that was already in her world and he knew how to identify the truth in her world. He knew her. And this well was the epicenter of her survival. The only reason why she was willing to go on this lonely walk every day at noon was for her own personal survival. This wasn't a joyous walk. She just wanted to live for another day. And I wonder how many days, it doesn't, this might be a little overstepping, how many days does she think, maybe I don't need to do this walk anymore? Maybe I should just let the darkness overcome me. There was no joy, there was no meaning, there was no acceptance. It was sheerly to survive. It meant that she knew that the basics of her life just needed her to get to that well and get home and try not to be seen by anybody. So when Jesus says, if you know who I am, you would have asked me for living water. But since you're not that curious, let me begin to say what you need. And Jesus speaks a metaphor, but she's wanting something concrete, linear, tangible. How many of you felt frustrated in your faith because you just feel like Jesus and God speak to you in this language or these circumstances, you're just like, I just need something concrete. Where can you get this living water when you don't even have any tools? Are you greater than Jacob who dug this well for his family and livestock? Are you greater than him? And Jesus answered her that everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but the one he, the one he drinks, the, excuse me, but the one who drinks the water that he's giving will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up with eternal life. And this woman said, sir, give me that water so that I won't thirst and have to keep coming here to get water. She wasn't asking him for eternal life. She was asking that the daily pain of walking to the well would be taken away. She didn't want to have to come get a drink anymore. She didn't want to be reminded of all the things again and again every day that had been tearing her down. She didn't want to be reminded of the wrongs that she had done or the wrongs that other people had done to her. If you could just stop me from having to come here in the heat of the day on this shame-filled walk, then I will take that water now. 
if I could just stop coming here. I don't want to be reminded of my brokenness. I don't want to be reminded of my pain. I don't want to be reminded of my guilt. If you just give me water, I will drink it. What would you, Gallery Church, what would you give for one drink of water that would remove from you all of your brokenness, all of your shame, all of your guilt, that could ease all the mistakes that you've made and that could remove from you the consequences of the life that you've lived poorly? And then Jesus ups the conversation. He says, go and call your husband. And she responds, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're so truthful, but you don't have one. You actually had a bunch. And the man that you now have isn't your husband. So what you said is quite true. And then listen to her response. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Don't you love the way she's trying to divert the uncomfortableness of her life and she's switching it now to a spiritual conversation? Wait a minute, God, you're stepping into my vulnerability here. Like, like this man, I, I mean, I don't know if Jesus is still seated in the shade, seated in the shade, or if he's now up and moving and talking to her, if he's still trying to rest his weary body. But he's obviously stepped in and she's now uncomfortable. And she's now saying, okay, let's talk about something else because you're making me uncomfortable. And Jesus was talking to her about her husband. I don't believe he was condemning her. I love the way Summer tied that into our worship. I think he was saying, you don't have to hide from me. I need you to hear me when I say this to you guys. We don't need to hide from God. He already knows. He knows us. He sees us. We can choose to start the conversation. Um, and I think Jesus chose to start the conversation with her because he's like, listen, I want you to know that you can just drop all of the walls, all of the barriers, all the things that you've done to, to protect yourself from further hurt because I am here to introduce you to a new chapter of your life. I'm not here to just take you to heaven in the future. I want you to start a new chapter of your life right now. And she goes on to say, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that it's, it's that place over there at the temple in Jerusalem. And what she, but this is the point. She wasn't allowed to worship in her own mountain. She would not have been allowed to come to the mountain herself. So it didn't matter that she couldn't go to the temple. She wasn't allowed to worship in the place that her people thought was a worship place. She had no place to worship. And Jesus is saying to her that Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying to her that you're not accepted on your mountain, and, I, and you know that you're not accepted in the temple. But God is here with you now, and you are accepted right here and right now. But you need to accept him, and then you can worship anywhere in spirit and truth. And I could even say this right now. Let's just say woman, period. It's half our audience. Ladies, you can worship God anywhere. There's been so many ways in which culture for generations and generations hasn't just damaged people of different ethnicities. We've damaged people of opposite gender. And Jesus is saying, I know all of your stories of how you've hurt one another. 
all of you, whether male or female. Let's drop. I just come to free you from the shame walk. And I want to give you new life. We just have to meet him in spirit and in truth. And the people that are honest with God actually say this. Three words. I need you. When was the last time in your prayers, especially those of you that feel like you are good with God, that you actually have approached him so humbly in your prayer life, your only thing you could get out of your mouth was, I need you. Because a lot of times what happens is, is we become like Nicodemus where we're so confident in our knowledge of scriptures. We're so confident in the disciplines that we have that we actually stop saying to God, I need you. Because a lot of us walk around saying, I've got enough of you. Rather than keeping the humility saying that in my body right now, I could never fully grasp who you are. I need you still. I'm broken. I need forgiveness. I've been reminded this week that I still, in my humanity, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, interact with people at times in ways that I shouldn't. And it's not just Uber drivers. I need forgiveness. Like, I, like, can they pull over somewhere? They're not blocking traffic. You might have to stop ordering food at home just to clear the streets, all right? All right, let me just, sorry, side, side note. We all need freedom from our sins. But if you and I can understand that God sees us, and in him seeing us, he accepts us, and in him seeing us, he actually sees so deeply into us, he sees the dark side of you that nobody ever sees. You're not like the woman at the well. Oh, it's, it's a good answer because you, you actually had five. The one you're currently with isn't. And the one you're thinking about moving on to won't be either. He's already calling out the deepest, darkest side of what's going on. And I just want to say, guys, if God can see you that clearly, why would we not say, I'm all in with you? If somebody can know you that well, then why would we not want to draw? And not only know you that well, they're the ones offering you life and friendship and love when everybody else around you that, that knows you or even knows a portion of you has rejected you. There are people that think that they are not accepted here at church, gallery church or other churches, and they need to be told that they are accepted and that they're welcomed. People think that God isn't for them because they've never been invited by the people of God. People don't know that they're invited into intimacy and community and love because they've never been invited into intimacy and community and love. Because we've been hanging around the well and just enjoying it ourselves and we're not looking for space to create for others. We need to be with the wrong people at the wrong place at the wrong time and we need to make it the right thing for us to do. We need to pay attention to where people are and we need to know where they are. And we need to see them. And we need to learn to listen to them. We all have eyes to see in here. We used to have a population in our church family that were physically blind. But yet they, they were so attuned to what was happening in the room. They offered so much love and friendship. But yet they could never describe what we look at. But they knew how to describe what we looked like. If you and I 
Or if you in here today feel like an outsider and you've never experienced that God can love you completely and unconditionally, I just want you to know that God loves you completely and he loves you unconditionally. He didn't come to condemn us because we do enough of that ourselves. He came to give us life. So I want to invite you right now, if you want to place your trust in Jesus Christ and you want to experience the healing where there's no more shame walks, there's no more guilt, there's no more self-inflicted wounds, and there's no more need to be inflicted wounds upon you. If you want to imagine a life of faith, hope, and love, one that is filled with love, you can have that in Jesus Christ. Would you just, for a moment, take a deep breath and let the words rest on you? Some of you might actually need to close your eyes because we get so distracted by movement but how many of you are feeling so alone and unseen and unwanted, unloved? I just want to tell you that Jesus is sitting here resting with us and he's available to you. Some of you have already made a commitment to him, but in some way you've been trying to ignore him. And I just want to say, I think he's still at the well and he wants to bring us life. And it becomes a simple prayer, much like the Samaritan woman is, Jesus, I know you know me, so I'm just giving you my life. I, Jesus, I just want to give you my life. So I just want to encourage you to make that your prayer today if that's who you are. And I'd love for you to let us know. We're going to have people that are by the Lord's tables that are going to be ready to pray for you, pray with you. Some of you might need prayer because there's so much pain and things. You just need a touch, a prayer somebody to say and intercede on your behalf today. We have people that can do that. But we're also coming to the Lord's table because it's a reminder to us that we're not alone at the coffee house. Jesus is there. He's with us. We're, we don't, we're not going to our favorite place by ourselves. That's what makes it so rich and joyous and powerful. As we go to the table, we're going to the table where Christ met his disciples and encouraged us to continue to meet him, to be reminded that we go places that are hard and that make us weary, but we do that for the benefit of the person that we're running into. We're not mean, we're not waste, we shouldn't be wasting the energies of our life. We should be pouring ourselves out for the rescue of others. And so here his body's broken and his blood was poured out for our forgiveness of sins. But through God being with us and through people being the image of God, we get a chance to see our lives broken and our blood poured out for others to find life-giving water at the well with Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you during this song is that we go to the table together. You know, gather up a couple of people. And if it's your first time with us, and, and all we ask is, is that when you come to the table, you're just acknowledging that it's Jesus. And the invitation is, is we want to remember it's Jesus so we can go and reflect the image of Jesus. And we just say to one another, this is his body broken, his blood poured out. So you'll come to the table, you'll grab a piece of bread, you'll go ahead and dip it, and you'll step back and wait for everybody. And the words are on the picture frames for you where you can literally just look at one another and continue to say to one another, this is his body which was broken for you. This is his blood which was poured out for you. 
And then after we done chewing, and the, we, we wish we had a glass of water because the bread saps the saliva out of our mouth, um, we say to one another, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again because we have hope. And we need to be reminded of that today. So Lord, as we come to the table, may we be reminded of you. When you're tired and weary, you continue to keep your eyes up to the people around you. Father, with us being tired and weary, we keep our eyes up for the people around us. And Father, I pray that through the power of relationships, we can bring new life to other people. There's too many people walking at noon. And so, Father, I pray that we would make space for them to walk with us in the cool of the day with our Lord and King. In Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus through the Holy Spirit do the deep work that only he can do. I wanna say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.